Hey, Marie, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm doing all right. This is actually take two of our recording. Uh, we had some issues earlier. We were going great. It was going strong. And then like 10 minutes into the recording, everything fell apart. I, I don't even know what happened. <laughs> I just started getting errors in my browser. It was bad. So here we are a little bit later trying to get uh, a second recording and hopefully, you know, fingers crossed that everything goes well this time. We haven't spoken in a couple of weeks because we didn't do a recording last week. Yeah, yeah. I was down in California for like a company trip, which was great. It's always nice to go down to California and uh, see the beach for a little bit. That's like my happy place, just kind of walking along the beach. I got to do that, just kind of like put in uh, the AirPods, put on a podcast and just like walk up and down the beach, just like right along uh, with the water splashing at my feet. That's my happy place. So it's uh, good to get to do that. This week, I'm kind of getting back into the swing of things with the book. And it's like, it's like time to freak out, basically. <laughs> My goal is to have pre-orders available before the end of the month. Today is August 3rd. It's the beginning of the month, but I only have like a few weeks to get things going. And I have to get the proofing copy. Mm -hmm. And so I have to finish the design, which I'm close on that. And then I have to actually have somebody proof it. And there's a few other things. I'm Like right now, before we started recording, I was messing with getting the barcode ready, which is, there's just like all these tiny little things that because I'm being indie published, like I'm publishing it all myself, I have to figure all this stuff out. And so normally, like if you're you know going through a publisher, they take like most of your profit and all of that, but they do figure out all these little things because they have the experience. And I'm like trying to figure out, make sure that my barcode's right so that if it's wrong and then like they can't scan it in the stores, obviously <laughs> that that's going to be problematic. So there's just like all these like million little things that I'm trying to figure out or like getting the ISBN numbers. So I had to buy my ISBN numbers because you have to purchase them to be like in the registry for that. Just like with anything, there's like all these tiny little details that if you don't know it, it's all new to you and you're having to figure it out and make sure that, you know, all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed and everything. Mm -hmm. Other than the, like that panic in the back of my brain that's like going off like nonstop right now. Things are going good because it's really exciting right now. I'm getting endorsements back from some people that I asked that I sent like early preview copies of the book to and getting those in there. And it's a, it's a pretty exciting time. It's just a little uh, stressful. <laughs> How are things going with Llama Life the past couple of weeks? Good, I think. We've been getting a lot of signups. And by signups, I just mean like, you know, create an account on the website. And the freebies, the free signups. Yeah. So we have a free trial. And then after the free trial, which is seven days, you can continue on a free plan if you want. So you can keep using it. And then we have a paid version, which gives you a few extra goodies that you upgrade for. It's kind of been a weird few months because we've been getting a lot of activity, like a lot of signups and still quite a bit of engagement, but we're not getting as many conversions. So we're not getting mm -hmm. as many paid upgrades. And I'm not really sure why that is. We have a few, the guess is that it's US summer and people are away, but they're still signing up. So maybe they're curious because they saw it somewhere because we've been quite right, active right. on social. So maybe they saw it, they signed up, but then they're waiting to pay like when they get back into the swing of things, maybe also just general economic climate not great at the moment. So people are cutting back. Yeah. When we talked before in the recording that she'll never see the light of day, you know, I said that I've been experiencing kind of the same thing with my newsletter, which at the beginning of this year, I moved over to Substack and turned on like paid subscriptions. So people 
I've signed up and kind of, you know, so I'm getting like, it's sort of like a SaaS product in that way because I have mm -hmm. like monthly subscriptions and there's churn and there's all those sorts of things. But I saw a similar thing where the number was going, you know, not like crazy, but it was going up and to the right a little bit throughout the year. And then we hit June and it just sort of like flatlined and yeah. I was getting new subscribers, but also the churn like was up. And so it was kind of like, it just, my number for basically the past couple months have stayed exactly the same. And when you unsubscribe, at least through like Substack, there's like a little thing where you can say like what the reason is, like why, why are you leaving? And that's always like good to get sort of a gut check of like, oh, is my price too high? Like everybody that leaves says the price is too high or whatever. And that hasn't been the case for me, which is nice. Like looking at the reasons, it's a diverse set. So it's like, okay, there's not one big thing that's like obvious. But what I have been noticing for the past like couple months, when people leave, if they leave a comment, a lot of the comments that I've seen are things like, I'll be back later. I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to like trim finances right now trying to cut out any extra things. And so I think part of it might be summer, but part of it also is just kind of the economy right now. Yeah. And in general, people just feeling that subscription fatigue, which I as someone that has a subscription newsletter, like I hate the idea of that. Like I, I want to pretend that's not real, but I feel it too. Like that subscription fatigue is, is a real thing. There's just so many, you know, like back when Netflix was the place that you paid monthly for video, that was one thing. But now there's like Netflix and Disney, Disney Plus, Plus yeah. and like there's Prime and there's like a million Hulu, Peacock. <laughs> Peacock. There's like so many services. And then it just feels like everything's sort of going that way where it's just like those five, $10 a month fees add up over time when you have so many of them. Yeah. Um, I know like earlier this year, I think it was, I went through our own, you know, my own personal finances and I was like trying to track like where all, where's all our money going, <laughs> you know, cause those things add up. And I, so I had like a notion document where I was just adding in all the little subscription services and it was like, it was like 50. Like you, they just add up so quickly that you don't even realize, especially when you're like in business world, because there's lots of little business related sort of expenses that you sign up for. And so I get it and I, it sucks as someone that, you know, has a subscription service. So I don't kind of know where that's going to go, but I guess I just want to say like, I'm feeling kind of the same or seeing sort of the same thing mm. uh, with my newsletter as well. When you talk about it in context of all the other subscriptions, it totally makes sense. Like Sometimes when I look at our product, it's it's twenty nine ninety nine for a an annual plan, and I kind of think, oh, it's only thirty bucks, but for a whole year, that's you know, it's only a couple of cents per day, but it does add up. So if someone's got like you know twenty subscriptions, then and they've got to cut the fat somewhere. They're like, well, maybe what they're calling non essential, which is kind of scary if they're thinking that the product is non essential. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of made me think as well. Like I'm constantly reassessing our pricing model because we're still pretty early and we haven't nailed it yet. So I think what we've got is we've got a couple of signals of product market fit, but we haven't fully got product market fit because product market fit is not just the product. It includes pricing as well. Mm -hmm. So we're constantly thinking about the subscription model. What's the best way to tweak that so we can help the most number of people but still be a viable business? And Every so often I come back to this idea of should it just be a one-time payment and I'm constantly like, oh, I, I know the benefits of a one-time payment and I know the benefits of subscription, but there's a lot of arguments to say that, you know, a one-time payment can still work. You know, obviously you've got to keep getting new customers every month. 
say you get 21 time payments for one subscription. Mm. Like maybe that's enough to cover it. You know, maybe that's enough to cover the lifetime of the product. We don't know yet because we've only been in business a couple of years, but it could be that out of the 20 people that buy one time, maybe 10 of them just stop using it. Mm. So you're not really supporting all 20 for the lifetime of the product. There's going to be some that drop away and maybe those that drop away are enough to cover the ones that stay. So there's all these things to think about. And then on the other side, if you have a subscription product and they only stay one year, that's like a one-time payment anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a fan of the subscription model in general. Yeah. But I know you and I have talked a lot about kind of pricing and things like that. So hard, yeah. I think that's a good point. Like if you knew for a fact that all my customers are only going to stay for one or two years and my annual plan, like, you know, if your annual plan is 30 bucks, Mm -hmm. then it's like, well, the most I'm going to get is 60 bucks from them. But what if I did a lifetime access for For like 70? Yeah, exactly. For like a little bit more than that. And then it's like, you do lose that, like, oh, the subscription is nice because it kind of recurs over time. Like if you're getting more overall, like that could sort of cover, it's just hard to know where that kind of uh, lines up. That's the thing. So we've actually been looking, so in Stripe, we use Stripe as our payments provider. There's a metric called lifetime value. Mm -hmm. So it tells you, it works out. I'm not sure how it does it because, you know, we've only been around for a little bit, but I think it sort of has some algorithm that forward predicts like the lifetime value of a customer. Our lifetime value, it's saying it's 150 at the moment, which is weird because like, we haven't been in business that many years to be able to see someone stick around to generate 150, but it's estimating 150 based on the amount of churn. I'm guessing the amount of churn we have right now, like if that continued, that percentage, what would be the average LTV lifetime value of this customer? Right, right. I guess what it's saying is if we wanted to, you know, do apples for apples almost, like we'd have to charge a one-time payment of 150 to cover the lifetime value of a customer. But that also, it sort of seems a bit high. I think it doesn't take into account the fact that if it was a one-time payment, I feel like there just would be more transactions. Like there'll be more people paying. So that should cover the loss you would get from a recurring revenue. I don't know. I guess it's really hard to predict, but. It's so hard to know. I was trying to, I was yeah. trying to look while you're talking, because I know that I also like with, uh, even though with Substack, I've only been doing it for like seven months. It has a lifetime value number on there as well. And I remember looking at it and I'm like, that's not right. That's way too high. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what it's doing to estimate it, but it feels like this is very generous, a very optimistic view of how long people are going to stay subscribed. I don't remember what it was, but it was something also like abnormally high. It seemed like it's like that, that can't be right. There's no way it's going to be that high. Like, that'd be great, but that can't be, (laughs) can't be accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I will say initially I feel like, and maybe I'm just sort of like conditioned this way. Cause like the whole indie hacker space, but I hear like one-time payment and from like the, the business part of my brain is like, Ooh, no, like, don't do that. You want to have the subscriptions. Like that is the model that works. Like that's why like it's software as a service, like the service part of it means like subscriptions in a way, like that's part of like ongoing. Uh, but there's another part of me that says I I have seen those like lifetime access deals and I've signed up for products that maybe I wouldn't be a subscriber to anymore. I'm not sure. For example, like there's I believe his name's Luis uh, Pereira and he has an app called AudioPen, which is a great product. He's kind of one of those indie hacker types that's done like a bunch of little things. And then this one really just like hit for him. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for him. He's done lots of cool stuff. And it's really yeah, cool yeah. to see this like blow up for him. 
But I saw it and I haven't used it a ton, but I used it just enough to be like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna want to be able to access this. And I saw that it had a lifetime deal and I ponied up and I paid for it. I can't remember <laughs> how much it was at the time. I think it was like an early deal for it. Yep. But I signed up because it's it's not something I use all the time, but now I just have it and I don't have to think about it, which is kind of nice. So that's the conflict happening in my brain. Because if I had signed up for, I don't know what the monthly price of that is. I'll just throw out a number. I don't know what it is right now, but if it was $20 a month, or even if it was $10 a month, I would have canceled because I'm not using it every month. Yeah. But yeah. I paid a lot more than that just so that it's always kind of there for me. Yeah, there's some psychology behind it too. Like just what, exactly what you're describing. If you're paying a little bit every month and you don't use it that month, you kind of feel like, do I need this? If you pay up front, it's kind of, you, you pay and forget. You're like, I've got it. Mm-hmm. I don't have to pay anymore, so it's done. If I use it, I don't have to rush. I use it when I want to use it. Right. So I definitely think subscription makes sense for a newsletter product. So I know we're just sort of switching around here because we're talking <laughs> about a SaaS, but a newsletter is like a SaaS in a way because you're constantly coming up with new content mm-hmm. every week. Like you're working every week, so you should get paid every week or, or whatever <laughs> on, on a regular basis because you're regularly doing that. And with the SaaS, you are working as well to maintain it, you know, bug fixes, et cetera, new features. But I don't, I don't know. I, I guess some people might look at Llama Life and go, well, is that a SaaS? Because like you pay once and it's working like a to-do list, but we have to pay for a database. We have to pay for like storage. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really tough. But again, like if there was that influx of one-time payments, would that create enough of a buffer to cover everything else until we get more one-time payments right, and so right. on and so on? And then you do see other models. So there's this app called Forest. It's a focus app. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of similar to Llama Life, but it's it's a it's a different premise. So basically you focus for like 25 minutes or whatever time you set. And if you stay focused and you don't touch your phone, you can grow a tree or a flower or there's lots of different, lots of things you can grow. Mm. And it's really cool because you end up with this little garden. I really like it as an app, but... Their model is completely different. I think it was three bucks one time. And if you get a million people paying $3, that's a lot of money. <laughs> right, yeah. And the their target is different too. They target students because of the low price point. But they also do other things. Like they ups, they have like creative like upsells. Like you can buy like special potions. It's a little bit more like an, a game where, yeah, you mm. can buy level up and get potions and there's some sort of currency. You can buy special trees in the game if you get enough coins or whatever. So it's not just the three bucks, but even just doing the maths going, hey, if you have a million people buying it at three bucks, that's a lot of money. Even if you had like 100,000 people buying it at three bucks, that's a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it sounds really easy when you say it like that. I'm sure it's not that easy, but I think the point I was trying to make is like there's so many different combinations and different models that could work or not work. And like, how do you test them all? You know, how do you, without angering all your customers as well, because you keep changing (laughs) stuff. I do think one, I'm definitely of the type that's more inclined to go more expensive than cheaper. And I think part of it is that it gives you a lot more room to do stuff. So like, Again, the newsletter, like I think the the minimum you can do that Substack lets you do is $5 a month. And I upped mine to $8 a month just so that there's like a little window in there of like I can do sales like a lot 
and mm. and not to where I'm making like pennies. I can do like a 25% off whenever I want to like kind of encourage more people to sign up or like I'll probably do a Black Friday sale that's like, I, I don't know, 50% off or something like that. And it won't be like, oh, I'm getting a dollar. Like I'm still getting $4 a month for the people that sign up. And I think the same thing with like my book that's coming out soon, like trying to think of pricing to where, so there's two things. Like one is the, that it has, you have a room, like buffer room for like doing a sale without like reducing your profit so much. But the other thing is like, if my book, I haven't landed on a price yet, but let's just say my book was $20. And because I'm indie published, that means I get a large percentage of that is profit straight to me. And so because of that, I have a large window that I can put into advertising. Like I can put like $8 into advertising per book because of the amount that I'm getting. Because if the price is high enough and my percentage is high enough, I can afford to find that spot where like, oh, if I put this into ads, I sell more books than I'm paying out. And so I can just sort of exponentially increase that number wherever I can do ads. And so like that higher price point allows me the room to push it and have that growth get a lot larger. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, I've seen a lot of guides that talk about like, oh, launch your book on Amazon for 99 cents because then you'll get a ton of sales. And I'm like, that is not at all, that does not interest me at all. Like that doesn't really make sense to me, the 99 cent thing. It's like, yeah, I might be able to say that I'm number one on Amazon in this category for a day, but the amount of profit is so small. And then I can never put money into advertising because like, you know, 40 cents in and suddenly there's no profit anymore. <laughs> yeah, so there's yeah. like, it's so, all these things, it's so hard to price and find it where like, because like you said, if you have a ton of people do it, like your profit doesn't have to be that big, but you have to be able to reach those people somehow too. And that's where it can become kind of tricky. That is the the thing that's missing when whenever someone says, yeah, you sell a million copies at three bucks each. You have to be able to get to that million and you have to have a mechanism to repeat that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's not like a one-time thing. It's like, well, how do you keep that wheel going to, to keep bringing in those one-time payments? Mm -hmm. You know, I guess on the flip side, if you have subscription and you have so few people getting it because just by the very nature, it's a subscription, that's problematic too. You're just, just not going to have the <laughs> revenue. So it's, it's quite tricky. And I, I actually would say pricing is one of the hardest things so far in terms of building this whole business has mm -hmm. been pricing. And we actually went up in price point. We talked about it on the pod way back. We went up in, in, and we sort of hit our maximum price. And I know it was a maximum because people started to complain. And I think it's okay that people complain it's too expensive. You you definitely want some people saying that. Yeah, like if, if no one's complaining, then you're way too cheap. Yeah, exactly. So you, you definitely want some people saying, oh, that's way too expensive. It's just a matter of like how many of them. And we noticed our overall revenue was going down with this higher price point. And then that's where you stop. Mm. That's where you go, well, actually, you went too far because at the end of the day, like when you look at the overall picture, your overall revenue is down. So you went too far. So like that's kind of the point where you, you stop or you reduce it a little bit, not because and, – and we had more complaints and stuff, but, you know, that's, that's okay, I think. Anyway, it's just tricky. So we're thinking about <laughs> that. What else have we been doing? Oh, we've been doing mobile app. It's our number one request. Every day we get requests for this. It's coming. We started Android and iOS, same time. We're using React Native. The last couple of weeks, we've just been kind of testing out like the process, you know, how do we do this? Because mm -hmm. it's very different to a web app. With a web app, you kind of just hit 
I mean, there's still stuff to do, but you can just, you can push it live and then it's live like a few minutes later Mm -hmm. with the app store. There's obviously the reviews and kind of figuring out all the stuff you have to do to build the app. (laughs) Yeah. Have you, have you done any of that sort of stuff before? Like with Xcode and the app store? I, I did, but a long time ago. And when I say a long time ago, it was like 2014. Okay. So that's almost 10 years ago. Oh my gosh, we're in 2023. Right around the same time that I did it, I think was 2013, 2014. But at the time I wasn't, you know, I only started to code very recently. So I wasn't like a dev back then. So I was working <laughs> with a dev and they they sent me the code. And so I still had to go through the whole, like, how do I build this in Xcode? Yeah. How do I like create my bundle IDs, my certificates? Oh, I don't know, keychain access, all this stuff. And then <laughs> I'm like stressing thinking about it. And then and then getting it to the store. I hope it's better now. I haven't used it in a while, but I used it back then. And it was just like, normally kind of like what you're saying, like there's some setup and stuff like that. But once you have like, a web app set up and you have like a deploy process and all that, you're basically just kind of like writing code and then like pushing it to GitHub and like then it doing the release. It's you're mostly dealing with the code, yeah. but inside of Xcode, there's like all these like menus, and like you said, like package ID and there's all this like stuff you have to do in the interface. That's not in the code. Like you just have to like navigate all these windows and panels in Xcode. I just remember being like, so lost. I'm like, where do I go? And then if something broke, it was like, something's broken, but it's not in my code. So how the heck do I fix it? It's buried in one of these weird like tabs inside of Xcode. And I have no idea what any of this stuff means. I mean, that was before I really coded either. I was much more of a designer back then. And I had learned like just barely enough. What was, uh, not Swift. Swift is what they're using now. What was Objective-C? Yeah. yeah, so I had learned just enough Objective-C to do, it was like a fantasy football app that I had made at the time. And so I knew just enough to get that thing working. And, but yeah, and then I haven't done Objective-C in 10 years. But Xcode is a mess. So that's, uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Hopefully your <laughs> other dev that's working with that has a little bit better luck navigating that stuff than I did. Yeah, I mean, he's dealing with most of that. So the way the way we're splitting up the work now is I'm focusing on the web version and we're going to be testing stuff on the web version. So we might add a new feature or we'll put it on the web version first because we have more control over the timing and the process. And if there's a bug, I can fix it and update it like straight away. So we're going to do like more feature releases on the web version and I'll manage that. I'm also closer to the target audience having ADHD and a lot of our customers have ADHD. So it's a lot easier for me to go, hey, this feature is going to work or I think it has a better chance of working, tweaking the design to make it ADHD friendly. I can just do all that much more easily. Well, he is focusing on the mobile app. He's doing the whole deployment, the CI, CD process as well. So I don't have to think about it too much, but I know he's he was going through it the last couple of, I think the last few days or last week going, this is a headache. So um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Android as well. But I think Android and Google Play is, is a lot, I think it's more straightforward actually. I could be wrong, but I, it sounded like he was having an easier time of getting it set up for that. Oh, and I should say we're testing this process with another app. So we have this fidget spinner app that I made a long time ago, a single purpose, fun app. You basically have a a page and there's a fidget spinner on it and you spin it, that's it. (laughs) And it tells you the speed that you're spinning it. So we're actually launching that as an app 
in Google Play and the App Store as a way to test the process end to end. Yeah, that's smart. That's kind of one of the things that now that I'm doing all this stuff with the book, I kind of wish that like six months ago, I had like thrown together some like 20 page book or something just to have gone through like, what does it take to go through all the steps with Amazon to release it, to get the KDP set up and all of all of the stuff that it involves? Because now I'm just like in panic mode trying to figure it all out. And I don't the first time, like yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know the mistakes that I'm going to make. Like I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. And I'm just like trying to figure out like. How can I make sure that I don't make any of the really critical bad mistakes this time around? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a really smart approach, kind of like doing a trial run with that alternative app. Yeah, it's kind of like an MVP mm-hmm. for the, on the process or just testing, yeah, testing the process, but end-to-end, like fully releasing. And we're also doing like test flight, just internally doing a test flight for this fidget app. So we figure out like, okay, how do we how do we get all the test flight stuff done when we do a new version, what does that look like in test flight? What, what does the customer see? Can we control who gets what, you know, maybe we only want 10 of our testers to get this version and we don't want to, you don't want to blow through all the people testing straight in, in one go. Cause I don't need a hundred people telling me there's a bug. I just need one person <laughs> telling me mm-hmm. that that's a bug. So the plan is to kind of get people who want to test it. And we have a lot of people already putting their hand up going, Hey, I want to, be in the beta, we'll, we'll stagger it because you probably, I mean, how many times can someone sort of test something? So I feel like we don't want to tire people out and we don't need everyone to tell us the same bug. So we're going to stagger the testing as well. Right, right. That's smart. Yeah. So that's exciting. I'm, I'm, I can't <laughs> wait to get it on mobile. Like it'll just be great because I know a lot of our customers use it for non-work tasks, like doing housework, so stuff mm-hmm. when they're not at the computer. So just housework stuff, I don't know, just tidying the house, getting ready, morning routines. I see a lot of that going on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you really need it on your phone to do that stuff. And the other good thing that I think I mentioned to you earlier, maybe not live on the pod, but we're actually getting people using Llama Life on mobile. Even though it's not designed for mobile, they're using mobile web. And it's not a good experience on mobile web, but the cool thing is they're, they're still trying which is a really good right. sign. Yeah, yeah. That means they want it. They they want it there. And now hopefully you're going to be able to deliver on that experience. I know like back when I was doing Polar Habits, like that was everyone was like, we want it on the phone. We want it on the phone. When is the app coming out? And I'm sure you, yeah, you get that all the time. And so mm-hmm. it'll be really nice. I'm excited to see how that changes. Like, cause it's mm-hmm. going to be a huge change and you're going to see like, how does the customer base evolve? Like, is everybody going to switch to that? Does that now become the number one thing? Or is that like, is it like 50-50? And I'm excited to see kind of how that evolves for you. My prediction is the app will blow past the web version. Yeah, I, w- I would bet on that as well. Yeah. That seems... Distribution-wise. Mm-hmm. Also just usage. Like, you can be at your desk and use the mobile app, but you can't like use your laptop when you're not at your desk. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I just think it's... It covers all bases, whereas the, lap, the the desk version only covers the desk. Yeah, I mean, so we're like at times, so we're we shouldn't go into yeah. this now, but I think <laughs> the big thing that also you know in light of our conversation is like pricing, and then going to the app store, uh, and thirty yeah. percent is going to Apple, so you have to take that into consideration too, yep. and I'm sure that is something that's uh, 
going to be a lot of thinking and trying to figure out what is that price that's going to make sense. I don't know, maybe it's the same model and then you just have like the, the app is like a companion piece or is it going to pay through? I don't know. There's a million things I'm sure we'll talk to as you get closer to uh, release on that, but it'll be fun to, yeah, fun to see how that evolves. Yeah. Or the web is a companion. I don't know. Maybe we flip it. <laughs> right. Like that you pay 10 bucks extra for the web. Yeah. I don't know. Have no idea yet. It's so early. It's too early but to say, but um, we'll save that for closer to the time. Awesome. That sounds good. So we should chat next week. Yeah. Sounds good. Talk to you then. All right. See ya.